David Olson from Megadeth, and you're listening to the Phantasm Podcast. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby to get ourselves a seat. The popcorn can't be beat. The sponsoring drink is dandy. You are listening to Phantasm Podcast. Hey, this is Trevor Sternad. Brian is back from the Black Dahlia murder. Tom Gabriel Warrior. Eric Green from Simple Tour. We're stolen from immolation. We are Gorgasm. This is from Crater. You can already see a body count. Turns from suffocation. Phantasm Podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, this is Dr. Vincent West with the Phantasm Podcast, and today I have one of my heroes on, uh, listening to this guy, all through middle school, high school, and I still listen to him, huge fan, uh, with me today, Dave Elson from Megadeth, how are you, sir? I am doing well, thank you, nice to chat with you, and the new year here. Thank you so much for doing this, so excited to have you on today, and uh, just kind of jump into things here with you. I'm dying to ask you about this. Tell us about um, tell us about your uh, your book. Yeah, Rockstar Hitman is a fictional autobiography that me and uh, Drew Fortier wrote together last year, and um, it, it's it's somewhat biographical, quite autobiographical in the sense that uh, the story starts in the Midwest, where I came from, and works hard as a musician and gets a lucky break to go to Hollywood, sign a record contract. And of course, you know, being young and naive, that's where his problems then begin as he signs a contract <laughs> where he gets he pretty much guaranteed rock stardom. That's the easy part. Um, but being in a band now is allowed for his agency, quote unquote, that he's signed with. Uh, the agency has some other dirt, uh, dirty work he has to do, being a hitman. So he gets to be a rock star at night, but he has to be a hitman by day while he's on tour. And, uh, <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah, so, uh, so uh, that's where, yeah, so that's where the story gets kind of gory and bloody. Um, so it was it was funny. I've written two autobiographies myself, My Life with Death and More Life with Death. So I've got experience doing that, and I've always wanted to write fiction. And uh, this idea just came to me about a year ago, and I just flipped open the laptop and started writing, and bang, there it was, you know, so. It's fantastic. Um, yeah, it's cool. So, um, when you, did someone approach you about doing this, and then you were just like, yeah, let's do this, or, or how did that come about, doing the book? No, it just came to me. I mean, honestly, everything I do, it's funny, right before you called, I was I was going to lie down and close my eyes and take a little nap, and suddenly lyrics started coming to me for this song that I'm working on. Um, I originally was going to be an instrumental, and suddenly, you know, the ideas come, so up I am, and I'm at the laptop typing lyrics and watching the track. So, you know, I've learned that, you know, when inspiration hits me, you just go with it. You 
know. Um, awesome. And so, and sometimes it is like that. Sometimes it is when you're kind of all systems are shut down. You're kind of laying around, taking a nap, going to sleep, or sometimes you wake up in the middle of the night with this beautiful melody in your head and a lyric. And I reach for something to scratch the idea out. And sometimes I look at it a few hours later when I get up. Oh, that's crazy. That's you know. That was, that was a moment for a dream but you know then sometimes these other things like this book and uh, certainly a lot of songs I've written over the years you know it's a, the seed of the idea happens kind of in these unguarded moments you know when you're not busy running around town doing tasks and emails and phone calls and sure. the busyness of life when the, when the busyness settles down the creativity bubbles up Excellent. And and speaking of music, you have a, a, a covers album out. Uh, s- s- tell us a little bit about that. I do, yeah. You know, like last year, 2019, I say last year, I guess technically it was a year, a year and a half ago, we right. put out a, um, uh, an album under, my, under Ellison. Um, and it was, I had three original tunes and some, some kind of some tracks that I just had sort of hiding in the vault. So we called the record Sleeping Giants. And um, that sort of opened the door for us to do a bunch of touring and work last year, or in 2019, I should say, uh, including the, the Megadeth Cruise that we had called the Mega Cruise. Um, Excellent. And, yeah, and then, you know, so that just kind of kept the idea. We went to Europe, we went to England, we, we did a tour over there, and, you know, as we're doing it, we kept writing songs, and we did a cover of a uh, Post Malone song called Over Now. Uh, we did like a kind of a, a current uh, heavy metal version of it. <laughs> oh, that's cool. Um, which, yeah, which was which was fun to you know it's fun to take an approach like that with a cover song where rather than going back in time and sort of grabbing a a childhood favorite and bringing it forward to your fan base, we sort of just jumped over the genre line and grabbed a very current hit song in another genre. You know, in the hip hop world, sure. we grabbed the Posty song, brought it over to metal, and. Um, and you know that's it's funny that that we had we were planning to put out um, <laughs> excuse me an awesome record of original material this year, but with the pandemic, we foresaw you know promotional issues and sure. tour and stuff. So we just said you know screw it, let's just let's just bang some covers out. And and you know a simple little idea like that uh, of course turned into this elaborate 19 song double CD four side vinyl <laughs> cover record. Excellent. Um, yeah, so we, and I just went back and started pulling up songs, you know, old Bachman Turner Overdrive, Sweet, uh, Nazareth, you know, stuff that, um, you know, Lost, uh, all kinds of different things over the years that were just, you know, songs that I really liked, songs and stuff early on that was influential to me and my singer Tom shows a few as well, and, um, and that was that, so we just put that out in November, um, and in a lot of ways, you know, we had a lot of our friends guests on it, uh, guys from Anthrax and Slayer and Ministry and Excellent. Mark Slaughter and Tesla and all kinds of different people. Yeah, so you know, it's kind of a cool time to, you know, ha- you know, have everybody come together and play on something. Um, and and I feel like it was you know, a nice victory lap for 2020. It's, it's kind of weird and crappy as it was for all of our friends to have their tour shut down. Sure, you know, the sure. We all had, I feel like we, we made a really cool album, you know, that, that celebrated 2020. That's fantastic, and and that's available on E One Entertainment, right? It is, yeah. Excellent. Uh, no, that one actually is available um, worldwide through Ear Music, actually. Oh, Ear Music. Okay, I'm sorry we, about that. We, yeah, we originally started, you know, when we started with 
the EMP Label Group, um, which is my record company that me and Tom Hazard founded back in 2015. Excellent. Um, we in 2016, E1 was a, a distributor for us, and then Amped, and now Ear Music is doing um, this record, and then the next Ellison record. Um, so yeah, it's 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 been a nice transition with all this stuff. Perfect, perfect. And then um, I've been w- really wanting to talk to you about this. I can't wait to ask you about it. So, how did you get into the 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 uh, having your own like movie production stuff? How, tell us about that. That's exciting. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, it's funny. So, Drew Forty Eight, who I just mentioned, was the co-writer with me on the Rockstar Hitman book. Um, I've known him. Tom Tom Hazer had introduced us uh, about five years ago, and he actually did a little bit of intern work at our label for a short while. Uh, just helping with some stuff. He had done a, a documentary film on the band Bang Tango. Okay. And then ended up actually joining the band for a short season. And then he published his own uh, memoir. Um, I think called I think it's called Dark, Depressing, and Hilarious. Um, and so I was like, you know, I always liked him. He's a cool kid. He's from the Midwest, and uh, like I am. And yet he's got a very clever sort of dark, witty side to him um, that I've always really liked. You know, that's why, um, you know, I got him involved in the book. But about a year ago, maybe maybe, maybe 2019, I guess, um, he had, he came to me and Tom and said, hey, I've got this film I'm going to do called Dwellers. And um, he, uh, he, he said, he goes, think of it kind of like Chud if you will. Um, oh, I love that movie. That <laughs> yeah, but, but but it's kind of the found footage genre. So it's sort of oh, okay. Witch, okay. You know? Yeah, so it's kind of more in that genre. Um, and so I thought, yeah, this is cool. So me and Tom put together the Ellison Film Company um, production uh, imprints. And, um, you know, so Dwellers is the, is the first film. But, the, but actually, Tom actually just did another little short animated film that is being um, pushed out through Ellison Film Company as well. So, awesome. Um, you know, a lot of the stuff, you know, again, fortunately I've been blessed with a, with a long career in music, which has given a, my name cast a pretty long shadow of, uh, I'd like to say a long light, really, in, 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 the, in, the, in, the, in the business, you know? Sure, and sure. That's one of the things we found with the, with the label, is that, um, you know, people can self-release things but they just don't get the big look, you know, and in order to get the attention of a booking agent and get on some tours and start to be kind of work in the real music industry, you know, you, you, being signed to a real label helps. And so we, sure. we're doing the same thing here with the book company. Um, we've got some, artists, some other artists we're going to publish books for. Uh, and the same with the film company, you know, now we're in a position to be able to push some stuff out for people and work publicity and promotion things that um, are, are strategic, you know, and they help give a big look and, and, and help these things get some proper attention. That's great. And then, uh, so the the film, you know, you talk about the found footage and stuff. Uh, did was that did was it someone you knew the the filmmaker, or what, did they approach you guys, or how did that come about? Well, Drew actually, he, he thought up the idea, uh-huh. um, scripted it, he stars in it, um, and he filmed and put the whole thing together. Oh so, wow! Um, yeah, so it's. 
you know, it's kind of, it's, you know, I love like Seth Rogen, you know what I mean? He, <laughs> That's his cool. Crew, he and his team, you know, they write stuff, he calls his friends to act in his films. <laughs> you know, he, uh, he has like his own little, you know, production wheelhouse and and that's really much with me and tom and drew and you know our our little crew that's what we do you know i i I think we're kind of along the same lines with that that's fantastic and then um you're going to be at mad monster talk about a little bit about that yeah well you know mad monster had reached out to me to um be part of the uh, event that they held i think it was in september here in uh, glendale arizona okay right by where i live here in phoenix and it was, they did a great job, you know, it was socially distanced, um, the lines were proper, and uh, they had a nice traffic pattern through the convention center and stuff, and uh, so everybody stayed healthy. Um, we had a pretty good uh, selection of artists. I was the, the musical artist to be there, and of course, because I lived here in town, it was kind of a easy way to bring someone like me in and as a celebrity musician. Sure. You know, not break the bank, you know, because I live here. And, and I'm, I'm always a renegade, man. I'm always out and on. Sure, why not? Let's try it. <laughs> you know? Sure. And I was excited that, that, they, that they were trying an event because, of course, all these, you know, most of these cons have been sort of shut down this last year. And so I love the Mad Monster is adventurous to try this because the, the horror fans certainly want to congregate, just like our music fans want to start going to concerts again. So, you know, last year... Um, you know, Mad Monster, my solo band, we went to the Midwest, we went to Texas, Louisiana, we played some select shows that we felt we could do socially distanced and safe, and, you know, so it's kind of been my nature to go, yeah, let's, let's go try this, so, Excellent. I'm glad North Carolina's happening, the Concord, North Carolina one, I'm glad that's happening now, and, and I'm, uh, I'm proud to be appearing there, and they've given us a platform on, uh, I believe it's Friday night, we're going to uh, premiere the, Dwell- the Dwellers film at the event. Oh, that's fantastic. People can get to check that out as well. Um, I have a question for you, something I've always wanted to ask you as a fan. Um, I love the movie Shocker. And I was curious how you guys got involved, uh, Megadeth uh, being part of uh, not only a great Wes Craven movie, but just were you guys fans of his, or and how did that come about? You know, there was a record label called SBK Records that was a kind of a new upstart label and they had the soundtrack for the film and we knew Alice Cooper because he was um, adventurous enough to take us on our first big arena tour with him back in 1987 on his constrictor tour that's awesome it was right as Megadeth got signed to see Capitol Records and we just put out our our uh, second album called Peace Cells which was buying and so we knew Alice, and um, so to cover his song, um, we went, I remember we went into the record plant um, and uh, cut the cut the track, and um, you know to shoot the video. Penelope Spheris, uh, we already knew her; she was the director of the video. She had done a movie called Dudes with John Cryer leaving. Love and, that movie. Uh, yeah, and Flea, right from Chili Peppers. Yep, and so it kind of had this real punk rock you know, kind of cowpunk uh, soundtrack to it. She had us put, uh, we had covered a Nancy Sinatra song called These Boots Are Made For Walking on our debut record, Killing Is My Business and Business Is Good in 1985. And so we, we cut a version of that for, for Penelope, for her film. And then she brought us into um, the kind of one of the main anchor artists in her uh, next film, which was... Um, Decline of Western Civilization, 
the Metal Years. Love that too. <laughs> so good. Yeah, I was Excellent. So, you know, fast forward another year, uh, 1989, and so, um, you know, our manager uh, had gotten us uh, hooked in with this. I think his management company that he worked for was in the same building as SBK Records, so it became kind of an easy, you know, it's, you know, it's funny, they say it, it, it's all about who you know. Sure. Sometimes it's all about, sometimes it's all about if they know you, you know. Right. Um, you know what I mean? So it, 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 they, you know, to, to our management being sort of strategically located. So yeah, it was really cool how it came together. And then of course to work with Penelope again, and um, you know, to look to be part of a Wes Craven film for us was awesome. You know, um, sure. And yeah, and it's kind of funny because that's actually how I connected with Tom Hazard, who has managed me. We've done these um, in the book, the films, the record label. He also sings in, in the Ellison solo band. He had contacted me in 2015 uh, to Shock Factory, was re-releasing the uh, uh, Shocker film, and they had contracted Tom to do a uh, bit and a sort of a bonus DVD uh, on the soundtrack. Uh, because the soundtrack was pretty incredible. It was a lot of really cool. It's a really good so, soundtrack, yeah. Yeah, so he called me. Um, he kind of actually, I think, just got to me through Facebook, and I'd known him um, previously. He had managed some friends of mine in Ohio, a band called Chimera, that was on Roadrunner Records. So I already knew, cool. I already knew him a little bit, but so that's how we connected. So it's funny that you know, through, through the shocker thing, a lot of things happened, both for Megadeth in 1989 and for me personally in 2015, connecting with Tom, and now I've got this whole, you know, I've kind of got my own Ellison industries going as a result of meeting Tom. That's that's incredible. Did, did you guys, uh, did you or uh, Dave ever get to meet Wes during any of that? Or did... You know, I don't recall meeting him. You know, we did a, a uh, film premiere at the China Club in Hollywood. Awesome. It been late, late, yeah, late 1989. Uh, we were writing a record uh, our next Megadeth record during that time as well, and that record would become Rust in Peace. Awesome. Um, which is, yeah, which is one of the big fan favorites for, you know, for our, our band. Um, so, yeah, there's a lot going on during that time. It was very, uh, very cool season for us. Um, I don't, I don't remember meeting Wes, uh, ironically, at that. I, I remember at the premiere, they strapped, they put Dave in the orange jumpsuit, strapped him into the electric chair, and then Alice threw the switch and electrocuted him. You know, which was very, very fitting, right? That's fantastic. He's the one chopping his head off and he's doing all these things. So, yeah, it was a, it was a really cool film premiere. I remember having the, uh, this will tell my age here, but I remember having the cassette single with the special artwork with Vic on it and stuff for that. Um, Yeah. Um, you know, it's funny, sometimes Tom, because Hazard's such a big Megadeth band and a big just music band, period, he'll pull these posters and these artwork and these various like that shocker. I think it was a 45 or something, wasn't it? Like a 45. Yeah. Um, so yeah, RPM, like, yeah, the final record, single record. 
uh, or something like that, or maybe it was a, 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 a 12-inch, but like an EP or something. Yeah. I remember. And he pulls it out, and he shows it to me, and it kind of just goes over my head, I sort because of, I was there at the time, and sometimes I, I take for granted just how cool it was and the impact that it had for a lot of people, you know? And um, so it is, it's nice, you know, Tom's actually pretty good with, with sort of kind of reeling me back into sort of the reality of, of it's incredible and i that's something i wanted to tell you uh i don't know how much you ever get any you know i'm a huge peace sells fan that was the first record and tour that i saw when i was a kid and um i love that lineup but a record that i feel like a lot of people don't give you guys enough love for is euthanasia i think that is a fantastic record um I would agree. Um, you know, it's funny. Euthanasia was a record I did not listen to a whole lot um, once the tour was done, and we, you know, because once that way, you make a record, so you're you're deeply engrossed in the twelve songs for the album, and then you go on tour and you play. You know, usually most records we get about six songs deep. You know, we we'll sure. play about half the record live, and then as time goes on you start peeling it back and it's four and then it's three and then maybe two or even one song from that record survives. Right. Um, and some some records you don't play any of the songs from live. You know what I mean? Sure. So Euthanasia, uh, Tour Mon is always a song that has lasted. Um, uh, a lot of that stuff, the singing was really high for Dave back sure. in that day and you know, as we get older our voices drop our voices change so um you know, that's, we've kind of stayed, we've, we've moved away from some of it, but we have brought a handful of them back into the set, like Victory, Killing Road, um, you know, uh, Reckoning Day. Uh, we, we've Addicted to that Chaos, that. man, that song gives me chills every time I listen to it. <laughs> you know, I would, I, would, I agree, I, like, I, I think that is a song that I always thought should have been a single. It's um, so good. And, <laughs> I mean, I know. The powers that be, label, management, whatever, they went with Train of Consequences, which is fine. That's kind of a good first, you know, metal. Yeah, it's good. It's quirky. It's, yeah, it's quirky. It's kind of weird, which is typical of Megadeth. They have kind of a quirky song, you know. Um, like, we've done a lot of you know, Sweating Bullets. We get these songs that are very non-traditional, and they stand out as a result sure. of that. But I agree. I always thought Addicted to Chaos. Because you and so many fans I talk to, of that record, they all bring that song up. <laughs> the one that should have, like, they just love it, you know? So, I'll tell you a true story. Uh, I got that thing the night it came out. It came out, if I'm not mistaken, it was either the day before Halloween or on Halloween. I went to a record store and bought it at midnight. I got the deluxe edition. It had, like, a shirt with it and the CD. And I bet I listened to that song 50 times on the way home in my car. In fact, I never went home. My mom's like, where are you at? I'm like, I'm driving around listening to the new Megadeth. And I literally listened to that thing. But that that one, that, that song, I'm telling you, it gives me chills when I listen to that song. I just, just I don't know, man. Like, lyrically, that album, you guys knock, that, that's a classic, man. I really like that record. Like, I really... I agree. I mean... Countdown to Extinction was our biggest selling record. Sure. And that was, you know, just a lot of things. Um, all of the past work coming together, MTV was embracing uh, our music. Sure. Our, you know, our you know, Metallica, Queensryche, Megadeth, Anthrax, all of us. Um, and then, of course, Seattle Music showed up. Sure. <laughs> you know, MTV, who was really the power driver 
for you know airtime, um, more so than radio, um, is that once they said, yeah, we're done with heavy metal, now we're going to play grunge music, Seattle music, you know, they, they just sort of discounted most of us and kicked us to the curb. And so that happened right in the middle of the euthanasia cycle. And that's, you know, so it, it, it's funny, in America, it sort of stopped the sales, or, you know, it, 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 it limited the sales a bit on, on euthanasia. But internationally, it was one of our biggest records we've ever had. Japan, Europe, things just got bigger. South America, I mean, it was just a huge record for us. And it probably cemented us forever outside of the U.S., um, you know, in those in those countries. So, um, but yeah, you're right. It's a record I go back and go, and well, you know what strikes me as a nation more than anything? Is, you know, we recorded those basic tracks live as a band. Really? Me, Dave, yeah, me, Dave, Marty, and Nick. And, and what strikes me just, I hear me go, God dang, man, we were good. I mean, we played so well together. I mean, the tour with that, I saw you guys with Fear Factory, and i tell you another song on that record, not to just stay on Euthanasia for a sec, but, man, Blood of Heroes, my God, the way that song kick, when it kicks in, that walking stiff, let me tell you, I mean, it just, to this day, like, that's a, this is, I I mean, I know this sounds probably really corny, but, like, I go to that record when I'm, like, that. that's an uplifting record for me, it pulls me up, Yeah. like, I, I agree. I agree. You know, it was it was a very prolific era, period of that whole decade, really, for Megadeth was that lineup. You know, as we, you know, me, Dave, and Nick, and then Marty, you know, cut Rust and Peace, but Marty was pretty new to the band. So Countdown was the first real album we wrote together, and then Euthanasia was the second album that all of us wrote together right. uh, as a, you know, as, as that lineup. So by Euthanasia, man, we were. We were really firing on all cylinders, man. Plus, we toured the world, you know, now a couple records. So, you know, you just get better. Uh, you're better together after doing that kind of work. Well, it's 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 a I think it's a masterpiece, man. It's so good. It's it's like, and that's another one where I've turned like younger people that I know on to like. Like I'm like check this record out. Was that was that one? Then they come back to me. It's like the same thing. Here they come. You know, it's like addicted to chaos and you know all these songs. It's like yeah. this is so good. It's like and it it's just great reckoning day and the whole thing. Atul Lamone, all of it's so good. You know, and I remember. And correct me if I'm wrong on this. You guys that like the, the when the album launched, you guys did like this live show. I remember watching it on like MTV. I think. Um, yeah, we did. Yeah, the MTV pushed out killing uh, training consequences. Yeah, then we did Night of the Living Megadeth. Uh, yeah. At, yeah, Webster Hall, which used to be called uh, the Ritz Theater. <laughs> That's uh, awesome. <laughs> and so, yeah, they renamed it Web- Webster Hall. Um, and we, yeah, we did a show there. Yeah, it was really a cool thing. Um, and then right from there, then I remember we went down. That was on Halloween, I think is what Yeah, yeah. We, yeah, we put it on Halloween, and then we went right from there straight. Actually, we went to Europe. Um, Dave was asked to be a presenter at the first ever European MTV Music Awards, which was in Berlin. Oh, wow. And that was really historical because, you know, Berlin, the wall had come down, things had opened up, and, you know, I've, I've seen over the years that when countries open up, the youth really drive the future, even in Russia, you know. Sure. The old Russia that, that I grew up with, um, especially growing up on a farm in Minnesota with the Reaganomics and the Russian grain embargo and all that stuff. Sure. You know, really, really, you know, hurt a lot of the farmers in the area. I mean, it's kind of that whole John Mellon camp, blood on the scarecrow, that whole farm aid. And all sure, that stuff sure. Kind of a result of that. So, 
when I went to Russia the first time, 2001, or what, Megadeth went there, 2001, on the World Youth Hero Tour, we're flying in, and I'm just thinking to myself, I was actually just kind of writing some lyrics down, and just kind of thinking about, you know, in my generation, we were trained, you know, basically, you were the enemy, you know, we're right, you're wrong, all that kind of stuff, sure. so, and here we are, our Megadeth music is taking me on this magic carpet, into all these these territories and you know Russia and we get there they love us this fucking arena's full I mean it was just um, they just they, they absolutely loved us and I just thought you know what a what a gift to have music be the, the sort of Trojan horse if you will that sort of takes you into all these places that I, I would have never gone in my life and, right. and you know even politically these things that we're sort of raised in you know, and I get to go to these different places, and, and uh, you know, we get there, and no one cares about the politics or the religion or the skin color. They don't care. They just want to hear the songs. You know, and it's funny. Right. Music unites us, brings us together, and and all this, you know, these warring factions, they just fade to the background, you know? And so that's a, that's a pretty cool gift we've got to have, especially in a band called Megadeth, you know? Right, exactly. Yeah, you wouldn't Holy Wars. You think you wouldn't think that would be the band that would do it? Yet this music is, I don't know, sort of been ordained and sanctioned from the good Lord above, you know, to be right. able to bring people together, which is a really beautiful thing, you know. It definitely is. It definitely is. And I was going to ask you, speaking of uh, Megadeth, um, anything you'd like to talk about? What you guys are doing right now, or or kicking tires on? Or? Yeah, we're just really we're wrapping up the um, album number sixteen. Uh, for Megadeth and Fantastic. You know, we've got yeah we've got a, you know kind of the second half of the year is, is filling up pretty nicely with tour dates and um, you know of course that's all kind of contingent on um, you know how, how the world opens up with the vaccine and everything sure. assuming as it go you know we're, we're you know we'll be able to probably start dropping some music and maybe the album this year um, I think we're going to you know, we'll frame the album around the, the, the touring. So, um, yeah, it's nice. You know, the other thing that's really cool is, you know, Megadeth, we kind of crossed over that threshold now where we don't just have to put a new album out to go play dates. You know, people sure. want to hear Megadeth. New album or not. <laughs> Absolutely, know, yeah, throws, yeah. Throws coal on the fire and still keeps the flame nice and hot. But, you know, people, it's funny, the younger the fans are, the more they want to hear the old stuff, ironically. You know, it's kind of like... Right. It's almost like, it's almost like Led Zeppelin. People want to get what they can't have, you know, and these young fans have to experience a piece of Megadeth that they that they couldn't have, but they, they've heard about it. It's become legend, and their parents are talking about it. So it's, uh, I love when, when parents bring their kids, and, you know, you see two or three generations of fans, you know, coming to the to the shows now. I mean, Megadeth's coming up, geez, it'll be 38 years this year. Oh, wow. Coming up on, yeah, we're coming up on some pretty historic milestones, you know. Um, you know, so for a band to burn the candle at both ends, it's amazing we're we're coming up on our, you know, fourth which our fourth decade, you know, so who knew? It's it's amazing and and you know, uh I'm I'm glad the to, to talk about the Mega Cruise for a sec, I I'm glad that went well. Are you guys planning on doing another round of that as well? I think so. You know, um all the cruises, of course, have now been, you know, pushed back till next year. Sure. Um, but, yeah, it, it was successful. And, and 
you know, the fans loved it. They just had the time of their life. They thought it was just such a great experience. So, yeah, I, I, I would say there's one in the future here. That's that's great, man. And um, I'm I'm so glad that you've got all this stuff going on. I, I can't wait to check out the movie too. It sounds really cool. And anything else uh, that you guys end up putting out, and then and then uh, your the fiction thing that sounds awesome about the hitman and he's touring. That's really cool. <laughs> yeah, what's, what's cool about Rockstar Hitman is the the, the central character. His name is Sledge. and um, so we're calling it the Sledge Chronicles because. Um, I guess maybe like a lot like Jack Reacher, you know. Right. It's a continuum. It doesn't have to stop when the book's over. We've intentionally started it with no end in sight, you know, so that right. we can just sort of this character as, as he tours the world, as he gets involved in different things, his life and his story can continue to be written. And that, that's kind of the beauty of fiction, you know. Fiction doesn't have to always be sort of locked in by reality. Yeah, that's that's incredible, man. That's that's really cool. And then where where can where can our fans uh, pick that stuff up at? So uh, Amazon.com and also BNN.com, which is Barnes and Noble's uh, site, um, is where we're doing the publishing on that. So you can just put in David Ellison, Rockstar Hitman, um, and there's hardcover, softcover. There's Ebooks, uh, audiobook, I think is coming out in the next week or so. Oh wow! So uh, all the platforms are there. Yeah, we do have some artists. Or, I'm sorry, some author autographs. We can be over at ellisonstore.com. We have some uh, awesome. Uh, I have some other things up there too, signature bases and the stuff that I've you know tour touring instruments that I've played and. Fans sometimes like buying those. They like buying a little piece of history. So ellisonstore.com is where we have all that stuff. That's fantastic. Man, that's awesome. And like I said, I, I've been a fan for so long. I, it's been such an honor to get to talk with you today. I can't believe I got to do this. And I know our fans are going to love it. I put kind of a teaser up about it, and it's already blowing up. So, <laughs> nice. Yeah. Good man. Man, yeah. it's it's so exciting. You've got so many great things going on. I can't wait, like I said, to check out the film and... and uh, yeah. yeah, you've got so many cool things going on, and of course, obviously, seeing you guys Megadeth on tour—it's always fun. So, yeah, more to be continued. You know, that's fantastic, man. Man, thank you so much for doing this today. I cannot thank you enough for your time. It means the world to us. Yeah, you're welcome, Vincent. Thank you for listening to Phantasm Podcast. For more interviews as well as full-length episodes, please follow us on Spotify. Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and more. And find us on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram at Phantasm Podcasts. Also, be sure to check out Dr. Vincent West's newest podcast, Godless Heathens, also available wherever podcasts are heard.